Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Powerful video, wasn't it? You know, I tell you, when they sent me that draft, I was a mess. And I'm like, you guys expect me to get up and preach after that? You know, that, that video was actually two years in the making. Uh, our sister Miriam started that project about two years ago. And um, all I can say is, wow. You know, I, I, I sent her a text, uh, and I just said, wow. That's all I can say. Uh, the song in that video is one of my favorites by Jonathan McReynolds, uh, Loving Me. And I think it really speaks true of who God is for us. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. So let's go to God in prayer. And then I have a few qualities of God that I would love for us to talk about and hold up this morning. Let's pray. Our great and awesome Father, you are truly, truly an amazing God. You love us so much. And I think the words to this song just speaks to our hearts. It, it touches the areas of our hearts that uh, we, we, we often want to communicate but often don't know how to communicate. But God, we're just truly, truly grateful that you love us. Uh, despite all our imperfections, despite all of our shortcomings, you love us. And we know that if there's any father uh, on this earth, uh, if, if there's uh, any relationship on this earth that we know we can rely on and depend on, it's you. And we ask that you will help us lift you up this morning. And we thank you for all the fathers here who will be honored and all those who aren't here today, God. We pray that you'll help us to find ways to honor them. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of my message today is The Good Father. The Good Father. And we're going to focus on Psalm 103, which is a psalm that I believe speaks of some great qualities of God, but I only want to look at a few uh, this morning. So if you could turn with me over to Psalm 103, in verses 7 and 8, it says, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Does this not describe the perfect father? A dad who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love? I know I want that to be said of me. I want to be that type of father. So imagine having that example in your life. And the Bible teaches that we have this in God. Now, unfortunately, this is not the case for every person in the room. We live in a fatherless society. Most fathers are either physically or emotionally absent from their children's lives. And some of us here today are still dealing with our own fatherless wounds. But God is here today to remind us that he is the good father. He is a reliable father. He is an ever-present father. And so where we may not have that earthly presence in our lives, we do have one that can fill that gap in God. You know, someone once said that dads spend the first part of a child's life urging him to talk and walk. Say, Daddy. Say, Daddy. Right? And then we spend the rest of our, their childhood telling them to sit down and be quiet. 
The good news is that we have a good father in God. In fact, there's a song out called Good, Good Father. It's like one good is not enough. He's a good, good father. And Psalm 103, David reflects on his relationship with his, his heavenly father. You don't, you don't really hear much about David's relationship with his earthly father. But he talks God up a lot. And I think that there's times when, 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 when we feel that absence in our life, we need to focus on the one ever-present uh, force in our life, and that is God. So I want to look at a few of these qualities of God, you know, the compassionate part of God. In Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, it says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. For the fathers in the room, do you remember what it felt like to hold your child for the first time? Yeah, I remember being in the delivery room when, when Siani was born and she was a preemie and I was so afraid that I was going to drop her because she was so light. But I remember just, just how frail she felt, but how proud I felt. And you know, you don't expect them to walk out the womb. You don't expect, sir, you just don't have certain expectations with your child because you know their condition doesn't allow it. You know that they're not strong enough to talk or even hold their head up. Their head is like, like a bobblehead. It's going all over the place. And you got to hold their heads just right and you got to feed them. You got to clothe them. You got to clean them up. You got to bathe them. You know that they can't provide for themselves. And God is aware of our spiritual condition. See, God is aware of our strengths and our weaknesses. He knows what we can handle and what we can't handle. And he stays connected to us emotionally. God doesn't check out when our lives get complicated. God doesn't check out when things get tough. No, God is still there. And he reminds us that he's still there. When we stumble and fall, God does not turn his head away in shame or disappointment. You know, it reminds me of that memorable father-son moment back in the 1992 Olympics. At the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, Derek Redmond had qualified for the semifinal of the 400 meter with the fastest time in his heat. He was looking strong until suddenly he pulled up. His hamstring had torn. And rather than crumble to the ground, Redmond continued hobbling toward the finish line. And surprisingly, he didn't have to finish the race alone. Redmond's father, Jim, ran from the stands and brushed off security to join his son. With tears in both their eyes, the Redmonds finished the race together. That's a good father, isn't it? In Psalm 118, verse 13, it says, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. God is that father. God is the one who jumps out the stands, who jumps up off his throne and runs to our aid. I think sometimes we think God is just sitting on his throne, watching us hobble through life, watching our, our, our spiritual condition overwhelm us, and we think that God is just sitting there. No, God gets up, and God runs to us, and he helps us finish our race because he is compassionate, and he is emotionally engaged with his children. He also runs to us because he's a gracious father. 
He's a gracious father. Yeah, think about the story of the prodigal son and how this young man ruined his life. And you know, most dads probably would not have responded the way the father did in this story. He asked for his inheritance. He went and he swandered off, did exactly what his dad trained him not to do. And then, just as his father probably expected, he came crawling back home, preparing his speech. But how did the father respond to him? Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He does not treat us as our sin deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. I like how the New Century Version puts it. He says, He he has not punished us as our sins should be punished. He has not repaid us for the evil we've done. A good father disciplines with grace. Yet I think grace keeps us from going overboard with our discipline. When we remember our children's frailties, when we remember that they're still growing, they're still maturing, there's still life lessons they have to learn, grace allows us and keeps us from going overboard with the punishment, overboard with the discipline. Because we remember we were once young. We were once foolish. We once squandered our life away and God brought us right back in his loving grace. You know, God's grace is amazing. You, people have, scholars have spent their, cold, their entire careers trying to explain God's grace. It's that amazing. It's not that easy to explain because one minute you look at it and think, wow, yeah, that's awesome. But then you look at it another way and it's like, what? Like, why would God let that happen? But God's grace is amazing and we're all recipients of God's amazing grace. But here's the thing. God doesn't always wait and allow us to take that grace for granted. You know, eventually, as a parent, you give your kids, you give your kids a lot of rope, right? You let them make mistakes, but eventually, you got to step in and say, all right, enough is enough. We got to deal with this. And God would not be a loving father if he just let us do whatever we wanted. So in Isaiah 7, verse 13, it says, here now, you, the house of David is not, is it not enough to try to be patient, to try to, the patience of men? Will you try the patience of God also? You know, although God is gracious and patiently waits for us to respond to his kindness, his patience eventually runs out for those who don't want to repent. Now, for those who are trying their best to keep going and, and do the best they can, you know, God's, God extends his grace. God extends his patience. But when we refuse to obey, when we refuse to, to show our, our, our love and respect to God, eventually God's, all right, enough is enough. We got to deal with this. And in fact, Hebrews talks about God disciplines those he loves and treats them like their kids. Because it's like, look, if I, did not tr- if I don't discipline you, then you don't belong to me. Now, you go after service, you're going to see a bunch of kids running outside like crazy. And the first thing you want to ask is, where are their parents? And you may even be tempted to discipline them. But they're not your kids. You can't discipline somebody else's kids unless they give you permission to. See, God doesn't discipline those who don't belong to them. God is like, no, no, no. 
I discipline those that are mine I, 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 because I keep them within the family rules, within the bound, boundaries of my love and protection. When we step outside and we refuse to respond to God's kindness, eventually God says, okay, enough is enough. And, and what I love about God is that he is so patient. So patient. You know, it was said about Alexander the Great that before he would lay siege to a city, he would set up a light giving notice to those who lived in the city that if they came out while the light was on, he would show mercy to them. But once that light ran out, it was over. There was no mercy. And none should be expected. You know, I think in some ways God is the same way. God keeps the light on day after day after day after day. And God will wait for us year after year after year after year. But eventually, God has to say, okay, enough is enough. And that, believe it or not, is a good father. Because how else will we learn respect, discipline, and honor if there was no discipline? And so God is a good, good father, but God is not, God is not so quick to punish us. In fact, 2 Peter 3 says, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. I love that about God, because it took me 23 years before I realized that I needed to stop doing what I was doing and respond and run to that light and react and respond to God's kindness in my life. I didn't become a Christian as a teenager. I thought, I'm too young. I got my whole life to live. Not realizing that I was on borrowed time and at any moment, God could have said, enough is enough and withheld his mercy and grace. A good father is patient with his children, showing grace and patience with their shortcomings, but expects repentance. You know, sometimes God has to repeat himself over and over and over again. Doesn't that drive you crazy? You know, when I became a new father, I just thought, yeah, I remember even to my pride and arrogance boasting, I'm just going to talk one time. I'm going to be that kind of dad. Just one time, that's it. I used to see people's kids go crazy in, in, the, in the, the toy stores. I'm like, no, 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 that's not happening with me. One time. I wanted to be the dad that just gave you the look. And that look would do everything. It would put the fear of God in you. It would communicate you bet not even think about it. It would help you become, uh, it would speed up your, your ability to process logic and reasoning. I mean, that look was all that was needed. And I'll never forget Siani's first meltdown. And it happened to be in church. And I gave her the look. She obviously didn't get the memo because she did not respond the way I was. And I kept looking. And I kept looking. And I'm like, this thing ain't working. We got to be patient with our kids. How many, ask yourself this question. How many times has God had to teach you the same lesson before you got it? 
Some of us are still like, bro, I'm, I'm, I'm in that right now. But here's the thing. He does it because he loves you. So he gives you second chances. He gives you third chances. And he expects us to be the same way with our children. There are things that we're just not going to get. And God allows us to do it again and again and again until we get it. And that's love. That's love. But it also takes another one of God's good qualities, which is that he's slow to anger. If someone were to ask your kids to draw a picture that describes the way you react when they fail to meet your expectations, what would that picture look like? A group of kids were asked that very question. And they drew a picture that described what their dad was like throughout the week. And this is what they drew. And there was a little caption that read, my, my dad is always cross. And you know, to some kids, our kids need to know what really upsets us, and they need to know what doesn't upset us. But if we're always upset, then they'll never know what upsets us. They don't, they'll never know what our real convictions are. If you're always angry, if you overreact to everything, they'll never know, well, what, 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 what can I do? And they'll always live trying to please you because we're quick to anger but God is not that way God is not that way you know I think for some of us it would be a different picture throughout the day in the morning it would be one picture before lunch it would be a different picture before dinner it would be a different picture right before the game it would be a different picture right after the game it would be a different picture on the way to bed it would be a different picture I mean, so we gotta we gotta fight for some sort of stability with our kids, because if our kids are always at the receiving end of our bad attitudes, and whether it's 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 about them or not, they'll think it's them, and they'll just accept, they'll just think that oh my dad is always upset, and so God makes it very clear what makes him upset. And he also makes it very clear what pleases him. It's not hard to please God. It's not. But, you know, most dads, I think, get quick to angry when they feel disrespected. When they feel disrespected by their kid, we use that as a license to, to really bully up on them. Because they can't defend themselves. They can't do anything. But I think sometimes we take respect too far when it comes to parenting our children. And you think about with God. We come in late to church. How do you think God feels about that? Well, I'm just, I'm not, I'm, just, I'm late to church. I'm not. You don't think God feels disrespected when we come not ready to worship God? Yeah, I went there. Because the Bible talks about God being holy. Talks about when we come before God, he wants worshipers in spirit and in truth. And, and, and he doesn't, God expects us to come ready to worship him. Are you more upset about your kids disrespecting you than you are disrespecting God? I think some dads get quick to angry when their expectations aren't met. I failed in this department. You know, my son is doing sports. He did soccer. 
I had no experience in soccer at all. So whatever he was doing, I couldn't tell if he was doing it right or wrong. All I knew is that every soccer game, he was dancing on the field. So that, that much, I'm like, Noah, stop. Look at the coach. But with basketball, all right, the first year, they had another coach. And I'm like sitting there just, come on, man. Come on, man. Call him. What you doing, man? And so my wife, being the awesome woman she is, like, why don't you coach next year? I'm like, well, you know, I, I got, I'm busy. I got the church and everything. I got sermon prep and, you know, I ain't got time for all that woman. Next thing I know, welcome Coach Warren. And let me tell you something. It's one thing watching your son from the, from the sideline. It's a whole nother experience coaching your children. There are expectations. Like, Noah, dribble this way. Pass that way. I don't want to pass that way. I feel better passing this way. That's not the way you pass. Bounce pass, son. Bounce pass. Chest pass. Don't twirl around before you pass. What are you doing? And then you feel yourself getting angry. And I'm like, why am I so upset? This is supposed to be fun. I'm not even getting paid to do this. It's because my expectations. I had high expectations. I wanted my son to learn to dribble right off the bat. No, patience. Patience. You know, some dads get quick to angry when their kids don't take life seriously. Or we don't think they take life seriously. Our kids, especially if they're young, they're supposed to have fun. That's a part of learning, believe it or not. Wrestling and, and running around and falling and getting up and all these things, our kids are supposed to have fun. They're supposed to mess stuff up because that's how they learn. They're supposed to, to, to argue with their siblings so you can teach them how to resolve conflict the right way. But we, we, we get so upset. Stop yelling at your Stop hitting you. Leave her alone. Get, sit, stop, stop, stop. And it's like we're, we're, we're barking orders, but we're not really teaching. And so our kids get, they get confused. They're like, talk, should I stop? But, and, you know, and they're like all confused. And, and then they just get so exasperated. They don't even want to come to dinner. And I think sometimes, and this is another one I'm guilty of, sometimes we think our kids got it too easy. You know you've messed up in this way when you start saying, when I was your age, I ate cereal with water. We didn't have low-fat milk. We had to drink whole milk. I ate all the gluten that was before me. You better sit there and eat. I didn't get to pick and choose if I ate. We ate what was put before. I mean, we started, and that's not fair. That's not fair. And this is one, too, I think upsets a lot of dads. It's when they think their mother's too easy on them. And we need to toughen them up. There may be some truth to that. 
you know, I think I'm a little easier on my daughter than I am on my son. And I think that comes with dads wanting their sons to be tough because we know how hard this world is. We know, we know that, you know, especially for minority kids, the world is not fair. And we have to raise them a certain way. We have to raise them to be tough. We have to raise them to push through challenges, to be educated, to not allow themselves to be lazy and, 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 and to, to accept um, mediocrity in their lives. Yes, there is a time and a place, but you've got to know your children well enough to know when you're pushing too much and when you're pushing too hard. God knows. Remember the Bible says he knows that we are dirt. He remembers our frailty, which is why he will not let you go beyond what you can bear. And as dads, a good dad will not push his children too far too soon. There will be a time and place where life lessons can be taught. But let that not come at the expense of your closeness to your kids. Think about how God got you to change. You might think, well, God tore me up, bro. I mean, he, he, he kicked my butt up and down Harlem. But he didn't give you what your sin deserved. Think about that. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, or do you show content for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? We repented because God was kind to us. We realized someone sat us down and showed us that you should be dead right now, paying for your own sin, but instead God's kindness has kept you alive long enough so that you can have a chance to respond to his love. Now, just because God is kind does not mean that we need to take him for granted. And I believe that, you know, some of our earthly fathers may not have been good examples for us. But he's not. They're not the standard by which we're called to follow. In fact, Ephesians 5 says, be imitators of God. As fathers, we should imitate God, the God, the fatherly qualities in God. You know, we may have had great dads, hardworking you know, a uh, uh, strong and, 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 and disciplined and men of integrity. But at the end of the day, God calls us to imitate him. In fact, he calls everyone to imitate him because there are qualities about God that we need in our lives. And let me tell you, when they're seen in the Father's life, it projects stability, it builds security, it gives kids confidence. It makes marriages secure. When they see a, a godly father at home, man, that's, why, that's better than winning the lottery. Because you know that no matter what you go through, you got a man that's going to turn to God and rely on God. And that your marriage is going to be built on the principles of God the Father. If you want your children to fall in love with God, they first have to fall in love with your godly example. And we can help our kids. We can help them see God by being godly men ourselves. And then lastly, abounding in love. Abounding in love. In Psalm 103, verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Verse 17, it says, 
From everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. God could never stop loving us because it's not in his nature. God is love. So it's impossible for God not to love. God is love. So when it comes to you, that's a no-brainer for God. It's not hard for God to love you. It's not impossible for God to love you. No matter what you think about yourself, no matter how you feel about your situation, God still loves you. That's who he is. They write songs about that love. That song, Good, Good Father, was inspired by the love of God. You know, when 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says, How do we know and rely on the love that God has for us? Is God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. When we walk with God, when we're a part of God's family, we're a part of a love that can't be extinguished, that can't not stop. The Bible says in Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from that love. No matter what you do or what's been done to you, nothing can separate you from the love of God. I mean, you've had people walk away from God and come back to a loving father. Why? Because God is love. We've messed up over and over again. We've disobeyed, whether intentionally or unintentionally, but God still extends his love to us. Why? Because God is love. And it's impossible for God not to love us. Even during those days when it doesn't feel like God loves you, when it doesn't feel like God remembers you, when it feels like God doesn't hear you, or God even likes you, God still loves you. And we have to remember that it's in his nature to love us. It's in his nature to be there for us. You know, I understand that some of us may have had dads who were unreliable. And you may even question their love for you, but God does not change. God has never stopped loving you. God doesn't, God is not, God cares about every detail of our lives. God cares about what we care about. The Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. That, that first crush that you had when you were young, that broke your heart, guess what? God was right there with you. When you fell off the bike, when you were learning to ride a bike, and you scraped your knee or you hit your head or whatever, God was right there with you. When you learned how, when you had your first bill and you were trying to figure out, wait a second, so this is what my parents are talking about. How do I pay this? Guess what? God was right there with you. All through your life, God has set up events to show you and remind you that he loves you. The people he put in your life the people he took out of your life, the people he reintroduced into your life. All evidences of God's love for you, the kids that God gave you, God gave you the exact kids you need. They're perfect kids. He designed them especially for you. As he was forming them in the womb, he's like, oh, they're going to love this. I, I, I can't wait to see how much they grow. I can't wait for them to see it. God loves you. And we got to remember that. At the end of the day, there is a father who loves me. And I can be, and, that, and that's reliable. That's a love that's reliable. You know how 
how good that feels, just knowing that you have a good, good father. You know, you can think about those words. You can sing those words to yourself. You're, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. Sometimes they say you need to say something three times to commit it to memory. I think there are times when we go through those lonely moments, when we go through those moments where we're like, God, are you there? We need to hear ourselves say, it's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And then you need to hear yourself say, and I'm loved by you. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Because I can tell you right now, someone must feel like, does God even love me anymore? And God is like, yes, I do love you. And I think, I think intellectually we get that, but sometimes we need our hearts to get it. And then we need to tell ourselves, you know what? God loves me, and I'm loved by him, and that's what I am. I'm loved by God. In 1 John 4, we'll wrap this up. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, when God realized that sin was separating us from him, God did something about it right away. God had already had a plan in motion. He already had a plan in motion. He knew what he was going to do. And God put that, that plan right in motion. And Jesus was more than willing to be a part of that plan. You know, unlike some fathers who can't wait for their kids to get old enough so that they can move out on their own, God's not like that. Think about it. God is building a house. He's the type of father that wants us to move back in. God is like, okay, you guys have spent enough time on earth. I want you to come home. It's time to come home. I'm preparing a mansion. It has many rooms. There's going to be room for everybody. I want all my kids to be with me for eternity. I want them all to be with me. So your dad may say, all right, you turn 18, 19, it's time for you to go. God is like, all right, you know what? You've been on earth long enough. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time for us to be together again. And I think it takes eternity for us to really grasp how much we're loved by God. Otherwise, God would have, he would have unleashed all of his love for us already. But it's going to take eternity with God for us to fully grasp just how much we're loved by him. And as we take communion today, I want to remind us that God had already shown his love through coming to earth, dying for our sins, so that we could be with him forever. And remember that God is love. It's who he is, and you're loved by him, and that's who you are. Let's pray. Our great and awesome Father, we thank you for this time, and Lord, we ask that you will bless this communion as we remember and reflect on the death and resurrection of Christ and what he's done for us and that sacrifice that makes our relationship with you all possible. Father, we pray for the bread that represents his body, and we pray for the juice that represents the blood spilled for our sins. God, we ask that you help us to remember that you are a good, good father, and Lord, that you love us no matter what, and you'll never love us more or never love us less, because you are love. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.